We turn in God's Word this evening to Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. And we'll be reading all of Genesis 8 and most of Genesis 9 as well up to uh, verse 17 in the ninth chapter. By the time we get to Genesis 8-1, the earth has been covered with water for 150 days. So almost half a year. Water has been covering the earth. If we include the 40 days of rain that preceded that, we'd have 190 days, meaning then we could say truly for half a year. Noah has been on this ark. The earth is covered, and there they sit, 150 days. I want you to just stop and ask yourself, what would you be thinking by about day 140? Right? Would you be thinking, did he forget? Does God know we're still here? I think I might be tempted to do that. But God remembered Noah. But God remembered Noah. And all the beasts. And all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth, and the waters subsided. The fountains of the deep and the windows of the heavens were closed. The rain from the heavens was restrained, and the waters receded from the earth continually. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. And in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And the waters continued to abate until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. And at the end of forty days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made, and he sent forth a raven. It went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent forth a dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set her foot. And she returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her and brought her into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and behold, in her mouth was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days. And sent forth the dove, and she did not return to him any more. 
in the 601st year. In the first month, the first day of the month, the waters were dried from off the earth. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth had dried out. Then God said to Noah, Go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife, and his son's wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. As I gave you the green plants, I give you everything. But you shall not eat flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And for your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it, and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. And you, be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I will establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all genera future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again ask for God's blessing in prayer. Father, we pray that we... 
we may understand how creatures are used in the Bible to better know how you relate your word to us. Give Pastor Bob what is needed to explain these passages to us. In our Savior's name we pray, amen. And amen. I must uh, say at the beginning that the basic outline, the large main points, uh, do not come from my research or my work. Uh, I came across an article by Dr. James Montgomery Boyce uh, that used these four points, although I don't think he used the exact wording of the four points, uh, to get into this point that God remembered Noah. And so as we look at this passage, as we look at the verses that we read, the question is, how did God remember Noah? Because the remembering of God here does not refer to God forgot that Noah was in the ark on those waters for those 150 days. It's not a, it's not a remembering because of forgetting. It's not a remembering, oh, can't remember where those keys are. Where did I put those keys again? Where, where are they? Oh, yeah, they're in my coat pocket that I wore yesterday. That's where the keys are. Where are my glasses? I can't. When did I take my glasses off? Oh, yeah, they're, they're down next to the, the TV stand over there. They, it's not that kind of remembering in terms of he forgot and now he's remembering. This is a remembrance of action. This is a remembrance in which God is saying, I know you, Noah, and because I know you, I am taking action. I am remembering in the sense of active activity. That's what he is doing. So in what ways does God remember Noah in these chapters? First, God remembers Noah by lowering the waters. Here's Noah out on the boat, 150 days. God remembers Noah, and what does he do? What does chapter 8, verses 1 through 5 tell us? He begins to lower the waters. He begins the process of drying out the earth. Two things to point out. Note the means. God caused a wind, right? And God made a wind blow over the earth. There is a remarkable similarity in Hebrew between what we read there and what we read in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Because you see, the word wind and the word spirit are in essence the same. Think of Pentecost. When God desired to demonstrate the coming of the Holy Spirit, he does it by two signs to those around. One is the flames of fire, the tongues of fire on top of the disciples' head. That was to them. They're the only ones who saw it. Nobody else saw that. But the second sign was for those outside. There was the sound of a mighty wind. 
And every Israelite, every Hebrew, would have, at the time of the sound of wind, been thinking of spirit. God, through his spirit, comes into Noah's life once again and begins to lower the waters. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think there is a physical wind involved. Yes, there is a physical wind. But it's the wind of the Spirit. It is miraculous wind. It's not ordinary wind. It's wind of recreation. God is taking this and it's as if creation is being renewed. Creation is being reformed. So we have the same thing that begins Genesis. Now that the earth has been cleansed, we have the same pattern of language. And the wind goes out. The spirit goes out over the earth. And the earth begins to dry. The rain ceases. The water that's been bubbling up through the ground ceases. And the waters begin to abate. Some of us are longing for that day in Michigan, right? Hey, especially if you own property along Lake Michigan, you're waiting for the day for the waters to begin to abate, begin to go down. Imagine what it must have been like for Noah, having been traveling on top of that water for 150 days to now sense the water is abating to look out that day and to have the mountains in view in some way shape or form it's an amazing thing that god is doing here the timing of this okay is the following from the time that this begins from the time this abating starts it takes 73 days before the tops of the mountains begin to appear. So it isn't like God suddenly says, okay, let's just pull the drain, water gone. Right? Let's just pull the plug out of the bathtub, water goes down, there we are. Five seconds, we're all done. 73 days before they see the tops of the mountains. Those who deny the worldwide flood okay, have to deny an awful lot of the book of Genesis. They have to deny whole sections of this account. And this would be one example of it. 73 days of the water going down before even the tops of the mountains appear. This water had to have covered the earth then. God remembered Noah. He took action. The action he takes is to lower the waters. Secondly, God remembered Noah by giving him signs. That's the whole thing about the birds. See, once again, God's creatures come into play, right? Noah releases these birds in order to determine how far the water has gone down. He releases first 
a raven. A raven which is, the lack of a better way of saying it, is a high-flying bird. It's, 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 a, it's a bird that gets up, as it were, into the skies and flies. It never returns to them. It just flies and flies and flies. Now, if you read this in the commentaries, there are some commentaries that I would question who say the reason the bird didn't return is because it found enough to gorge itself on floating on the waters. I, I, think, that's, I think that's a horrible interpretation. Okay. That, that would imply when Moses or when Noah eventually gets off the ark, there's all sorts of dead bodies and carcasses and everything else all over the place. Uh, the, other commentators will tell you that which happens in the flood, the movement of earth, the tonnage that is moved, the sediment that will be filtering down has already buried life. What then is the point of the raven? It flies to the mountains. And it simply flies back and forth. It doesn't come back to Noah. It flies to the mountaintops. But if you've ever been out west, or if you've ever been anywhere where you have all these mountain peaks, right? That's what we had. The tops of the mountains, just the mountain peaks, right? No, Moses, the ark comes to rest on the tops of the mountains of Ararat. So he's on the tops of them. That's what the scriptures say. And all he can see is mountain peaks. The question is, what about the land below us? What about the land where we're going to need to live? Now he sends out the raven to find out, is there dry land anywhere? Yes, there is, because the raven does not return. Flies back and forth. It takes care of itself. It is no longer dependent upon Noah and the provisions. So secondly, God gives to Noah another sign. He takes a dove and releases the dove. A dove is a low-flying bird. A, a dove stays near the ground. Noah does this in order to determine how far has the water actually gone down. The dove comes back. Meaning, there is no place for the dove to rest anywhere near that ark. He, sends, he waits seven days, sends the dove again. It comes back with a sign, an olive branch, freshly plucked. Not dead vegetation floating on top of the ground, on top of the water that it just picked up, but freshly plucked. In other words, there is a tree. There is a tree with leaves beginning to emerge. This is below the mountain level. This is now in the trees. Olive trees are down in the valley. The water is going down. It is a sign to Noah that the waters continue to go down. He waits seven more days, sends out the bird, and it doesn't come back. What sign does that give to Noah that the earth is now dry? That the bird has found a place and it no longer needs to come back. It too has been provided for by the Lord. 
That's the point of these birds. 134 days from the time that the waters began to go down. 134 days. Yet God not only is lowering the waters, remembering Noah, He's also remembering Noah by encouraging him with these signs. Here, Noah, look, the water's going down. Look, Noah, the water, the land is drying up. Look, Noah, be encouraged, be strengthened. Help may your faith be strengthened. God gives signs. For the purpose of encouraging our faith. That's where we're at next week, right? God gives us now this sign. Not the sign of ravens and doves. He gives us this sign. This sign. A sign to what? To encourage our faith as well. To encourage our faith for what? As we wait. As we wait for Christ's return. As we wait for Him to come as we wait for that glorious day of seeing him face to face, of beholding his glory and the wonders of his grace. Until that day, what does he do? He encourages us. From time to time, we are encouraged. We are strengthened. Our faith, which needs constant buildup, which needs constant strengthening, this is what God is doing. When we come to the table, when we participate, by faith, God strengthens that faith. Thirdly, God remembered Noah by his word. God now speaks, but it's interesting, okay, how this is occurring, right? Okay. God now speaks to Noah. But it's in response to the sacrifice that Noah brings. So you have verses 13 through 18. The water has now gone down. God comes and says, okay, now you can get out of the boat. You and your family and all the living things. Note how oftentimes that's repeated in this section. All those living things. Take them out with you. Verse 20, the first thing Noah does after coming out is he built an altar to the Lord. Out of, out of the stones that they're required to, but what does he use as the sacrifice? And he took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings. Remember what we had this morning? He's got 14 of those animals. He's got 14 of those birds. See, if we only got two of each, he's just cut the whole population of the clean animals in half. Even though God has said to them, be fruitful and multiply. Noah just cut the numbers in half. Now he's just taken some. God 
had already planned and purpose by commanding Noah to bring some of those animals onto the ark, the seven of the clean, for the purpose of sacrifice. These creatures, God has plans and purposes for. He has uses for them. And part of it is to be used as a sacrifice to him. But notice how the Lord responds. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. God smells that. That sacrifice of faith. That sacrifice of gratitude. That Noah is bringing to him. God smells it. And what does God do? Verse 21, the Lord said in his heart. In other words, he's not talking to Noah. He's not talking to anybody. He's talking to himself. The Lord said in his heart, I'm never going to do this again. I'm never going to strike down every living creature as I have done. You notice what he didn't say? He didn't say, I'm never not going to strike down every human being. His category is larger, isn't it? I'm never going to strike down every living creature, including man. I'm never going to do this again. This is what God in response to the sacrifice, promises, as it were, himself. He vows to himself. Never again. Not going to do it. Keep your finger here. Go with me to Isaiah chapter 54. Isaiah chapter 54. The Lord is speaking. Okay, chapter 53, we know that very well, right? The suffering servant, the one who's going to come, the ones who's going to come give his life. Verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Now that theme is continuing in chapter 54. Okay? It's a theme of God's covenant, his eternal covenant of peace that he establishes with his people. Listen to the Lord, verse 9. This is like the days of Noah to me. Now it's the Lord speaking. And he's saying, this sacrifice of my suffering servant is like the days of Noah to me. 
as I swore that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so I have sworn that I will not be angry with you and will not rebuke you. For as the mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. See, this isn't Pastor Bob drawing and saying, well, you know, I think this passage in Isaiah has something to do with Noah. The Lord himself says it. The Lord himself says the sacrifice of Christ reminds him of the promise that he makes to Noah. I will not again strike. This is not the way I will treat my people. This is not the way I will respond to their sin. I respond to their sin with the gift of my son. Go back to Genesis 9. So here's how you know it's true. Here's how you know that this promise is true. Verse 22. When the earth remains, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night, shall not cease. So I want you to do a little math tonight. I want you to do this math. I want you to take your age and multiply it by 365. Say, why am I doing that? Because that's the amount of day and nights that the Lord has given to you as a reminder of his covenant promise. Take your age, multiply it by four. That's the amount of change of seasons that your lifetime has experienced. I was at the, the Christian rest home this afternoon doing a service there, and there was a man who was 90 years old, and I couldn't help but think, he's 90. He's seen 360 changes of seasons. God, over and over and over and over and over and over and over in our lives. Wherever I turn my head, said the hymn writer, I see the mighty power of God. Well, we can add to that. Wherever I turn my head, I see the promises of God faithful to His promise, His covenant promise. Fourthly, God then remembers by making a promise a covenant promise to Noah. Remember what we have back here, verse 21? The Lord smelled the pleasing aroma and the Lord said, in his heart. Now that becomes vocalized. Now God speaks to Noah. Now God talks to Noah. And that covenant promise becomes public. It's no longer just in the heart of the Lord. It is now announced. He announces it in this way. First of all, he offers a command. The Lord gives the same command that he did to Adam. 
be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. It's as if God is saying, okay, we're starting over, Noah. I know we got the whole sin thing to deal with, but we are starting over. I want you to do exactly what I commanded Adam to do. Go forth, multiply. Fill the earth. You have dominion. You've been given dominion. The fear and dread of you is now upon the animals. I am changing the command about what you may eat. It was you could only eat every green plant and the fruit of the trees, but now you may eat the animals. Just don't eat them with their blood in it because that is the sign of life. Here is my command. Go forth, multiply, fill the earth. Secondly, in this covenant, God comes with a promise. A promise to never again destroy the world with a flood. But what stands out to me is the same thing that stands out to Dr. DeYoung. When we have one of these exams of a young man coming into the ministry, uh, Reverend DeYoung, Dr. DeYoung has one question he usually stands up from the floor and asks. And he said, would you tell me of the first covenants that are found in the Bible, who does God make those covenants with? So give me the name of the covenant, give me where the covenant is found, and then who does God make the covenant with? And these guys usually do a very good job, and they get to the, well, there's the covenant with Noah uh, that God makes. It's in Genesis chapter 9, and, and the covenant is between God and Noah. And Dr. DeYoung will say, you are wrong. Why is that answer wrong? Because the covenant is not between God and Noah. It is between God, Noah, and all of the creatures. And I find this kind of remarkable, right? That God enters into a covenant relationship with the creatures. I can understand God entering into a covenant relationship with his image bearer, Noah, and his family. But the passage is clear. Okay? Verse 8. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, Behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And, in other words, I establish my covenant with you and, or we could read it, and I establish my covenant with every living creature that is with you. Do you get it? The birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you. As many as came out of the earth. It is for every beast of the earth. God makes a promise. Not just to us as his image bearers here. Never to destroy the earth with a flood. He makes that promise to the creatures. I'm never going to destroy you with a flood either. I think perhaps in the course of life we have minimized the role that God 
has for the creatures that he has made. Maybe it's because of rationalism. Maybe it's because of enlightenment. Maybe it's because of the world in which we live in that it all centers on us. Right? It all centers on us. The world revolves around us. The, the whole of history is about us. No, it isn't. The whole of history is about God and his creation, his creatures, man and animals. And as we go through the scriptures, we will see time and time and time again how God makes use of those creatures for his purposes to teach, to remind us, to point us to himself, to his love, to his care, to his provisions for us. He sets a bow in the sky, a sign of this covenant. A sign that is to be a reminder to Noah and his family and to those he has entered into a covenant relationship with. I think we sometimes look at this and have to say this is a profound mystery. We don't understand how all of this happens and how all of this communicates. But yet as we read God's word, there is a sense in which the animals, the creatures that God has made fall under the responsibilities that God has given to them as well. And that they too bear the brunt of our sin. Romans chapter 8, the whole creation groans in the expectation of our adoption. I don't know what that means for eternity. I don't know what God has in store for his creation and what that new earth is going to be like that we will eventually occupy. I don't know what that means as far as if there's going to be animals that God recreates for that. That all is a profound mystery. God does not explain everything. But certainly in this realm, certainly in this sphere, God tells us how important they are for his purposes, for his plan for that which he desires to accomplish. Next Lord's Day, we're in Genesis chapter 22. The Lord will provide. And Abraham and Isaac hear the sound of a ram caught in a thicket. Oh, how God provides. Let's pray. Father, the hymn writer that we've just sung a few moments ago 
spoke, as, as I said, of looking around this world, beholding your creation, beholding what you have made, and not worshiping it, not glorifying it, not lifting it out of its creatureness to be more than what you intended it to be, but to see that which you have made, to see the use of creatures for your purposes as a means by which we give you glory, we give you praise. The birds their carols raise. Father, if the animals that you have created in all of their limitations are created for your glory, then how much more so we who are your image bearers to live for your glory. For Lord, you sent your Son to die. Not for the animals, not for the livestock, not for the creeping things, not for the birds of the air. But you sent your son to die for us. May our mouths, may our lives be filled with praise for the one who has blessed us with his grace. In Christ, God's people say, Amen.